Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. I am really thrilled to be talking to you, lovey. How are you today? I am good. It's a chill day. Well, chill considering that, you know, we're inside and we're safe. So I'm chill. (laughs) Good. I'm glad that you're chill. So before we dive into our conversation, please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do. I am Lovey Jai Jones, and I am a best-selling author, a speaker, a podcaster, and a lover of jollof rice. I love jollof rice too, by the way. I have a couple of African friends who keep us on deck with like spinach stew and jollof rice. So like, I'm here for that. So I want to talk about your new book. It's coming into the world. We are almost there. And I want to get to know a little bit more about this project from your perspective as the author and why this is your second coming book and the content that's in it. So just take us away with why this book is what it is and what it means to you. Yes. So professional troublemaker, the fear fighter manual is my follow-up to I'm judging you the do better manual, but this book is different. It's more like the big sister. And this book, I wrote it because I wanted us to explore how fear stops us often from doing what we need to do, what we're purposed to do, saying what we need to do and what happens when we insist on not using fear as a first factor in our decision-making, you know, and I use my story throughout it, my grandmother's story throughout to show that as black women, especially we aren't often given permission to live audacious lives. We're not often given permission to not move through this world with all the burdens on our shoulders that we have earned and how when you add the whole aspect of fear, it just, it means we're often in boxes that we don't belong in. Mm. So I wrote this book as a affirmation, as permission, Mm. and hopefully as something that compels people to start moving different. I want to talk about fear and making friends with your fear, because that's kind of the underlying message that I got when I was reading certain chapters. It's like, instead of turning away from it, maybe turn towards it. So what would you say about becoming friendly with fear versus fleeing from it? Because I know in my own personal journey, that's what I've had to do to really get to where I want to be. So what would you say to that? Yeah, I think... We think about fear as this enemy, but I think fear can drive us. Mm -hmm. I think we all need to understand that we're not going to stop being afraid of all the things the world is going to throw at our feet. We don't stop being afraid just because we get more successful. You know, we don't stop being afraid because we get married or start seeing some of our dreams come true. It's just our fear shift. So what we have to start doing is start being like, all right, I see you acknowledging the fear, but then understanding that your next move is what matters. So are you going to let the fear be what stops you from doing or saying this thing or asking for that raise? Or are you going to let it drive you and say, you know what, if I'm scared of it, odds are this is a growth opportunity that I need to run towards. And I I like how you mentioned that, like, how are you going to make your next move? Because it's one thing to be fearful, right? I think that's our human nature to activate our fear response when the unknown is around or when we're in danger, right? Or Mm -hmm. when we feel threatened. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know what has been your biggest fear moment, maybe even in your career as an author and as a Black woman in the literary world. What has been your biggest fear moment and maybe even your greatest lesson when moving through that fear? Yeah, honestly, I think about my TED Talk that now has 5.6 million views. Yeah, What's crazy is 
that TED talk almost didn't happen. Mm. (laughs) That TED talk was something that I operated from a place of fear about because they asked me to do it in May of 2017. And I turned it down because I was afraid that I was going to get up there and bomb. I was afraid that I wasn't ready for that stage. So I was like, nah, I'm straight. I have a lot of things going on. (laughs) I turned it down. They asked me a second time a couple of months later and I was, no, I booked for that day now. And then three weeks before TED, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to TED just to cheer on my friends. And they were like, well, if you can come, we want you to speak. And yo, I was like, what? That's madness. We're three weeks out. Everybody else has had a coach for all these months and they have rehearsed their talks. They ready. They more than ready. And here I am three weeks before being told to do this. And I remember calling my friend Unique Jones Gibson and being like, yo, this is wild. Tell me I'm crazy. They want me to do this talk. And I think it's, it's not even possible because... I'm not prepared. You know, I don't have what it takes right now because I'm still on the road. And I was like, everybody else got coach. Everybody else is ready. And Unique was like, everybody ain't you. She was like, all the speaking you've been doing for the last nine years has prepared you for this. All the different speaking engagements that you've even had in the last three weeks have prepared you for this. You know, your coaching has been your experience, who you are. And if they didn't believe you could do this, they wouldn't ask you. So get off my phone and go write your talk. And she hung up on me. And I think about that moment. I was out of excuses. I tried to give them so many excuses about why I couldn't do it. I was like, I got to leave New Orleans. And they were like, that's fine. We'll just make you opening speaker. They just, every single, I'm afraid, let me out of this thing that I threw at them. They were like, nope, nope, nope. We'll work around it. And then I gave the talk of my lifetime. (laughs) Like I gave that talk, like I'd given it a thousand times. It was like an out-of-body experience and ended up getting a standing ovation. And my talk was the first one from that event that was featured on the TED uh, website. And month one had a million views. And I keep going back to even the lessons that I learned on the way to giving that talk where I operated purely from a place of fear. Why didn't I think I could give that talk? Why didn't I think I was ready? And I think about how what saved me in that time was other people not allowing me to say no because I was afraid. It was the fact that they insisted on still asking me back. It was my friend who loaned me courage when I didn't have enough for myself, who said, no, 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 you got this. And I think about how often in our lives do we have opportunities that we say no to because we are afraid of the yes. We're afraid of our fullness. We're afraid of whatever it is. How often have we walked away from people, jobs, things that we shouldn't have purely because we were afraid. And I think about that TED talk, like had I not given it, I wouldn't have the thousands of emails that I've gotten from people who were like, this is how much it meant to me. I wouldn't have the hundreds of speaking engagements I've had requests about because of that TED talk. I wouldn't even have the idea for this book all because I was afraid. look where that fear puts you, facing that fear puts you. You sharing your story about you and Unique's conversation, it brought up the question for me, how self-care plays a role in community care and how community care plays a role in our self-care. So in this yes. in this instance, it is the community care that had played a role in your self-care practice from what I heard. Leaning inward, trying to find your courage for this pretty monumental beautiful, exciting, terrifying experience. Mm -hmm. So what has community care taught you about your self-care practice and vice versa? 
I think they're one and the same in that the community that we are around can affirm our decisions to take care of ourselves. Or sometimes they will pressure us into taking care of ourselves, you know, and sometimes self-care looks like deeper belief in you, in your abilities, in your capabilities, in your experience, in your skills and gifts. And I think for me, I'm constantly surrounded by community care. I am constantly surrounded by people who loan me courage in the moments when I don't have it, who will ask me, how are you doing? Which will then remind me to ask myself, right? Like, I think for me, the community I'm a part of, my friends, my family, my husband, they always remind me that I need to take time for me. That when I need to go hard, they're like, we got you. We'll be here when you got to bring your head back up. And then sometimes they'll say, you know what? You've been going too hard. You might need to chill for a bit. Mm -hmm. Here's a spa day. So I think self-care and community care are deeply tied because in the moments when we are failing at our own self-care, our community can remind us and bring us back to it. Let's talk about your grandmother for a little bit and how her story and her legacy and you all's relationship has inspired you to stand in your power. Yes, yes, yes. My grandmother, Fumilayo following, she was a fireball. <laughs> I think we all, everybody has at least one person in their lives who they know is like just a fire starter. Like they love with so much passion. They will lambast you with just as much passion. They are kindness as a person, like as a walking form of kindness. And I think part of their kindness is that they show up as themselves in all ways. My grandmother was somebody who was not afraid to take up any space, was not afraid to be celebrated and would always try to find a way that she can give back to people. Like my grandmother was somebody who people would knock on her door, somebody from the neighborhood. Hey, I'm hungry. I can't, I haven't had any food today. And my grandmother would invite them in feed them, put food in Tupperware, ask them how their parents are. Do you have any money for school? Hand them money and send them out back into the world with more things than they came back with because people knew Mama following you was not going to let you go without. And she would actually get mad if you didn't let her know that you were struggling. That was the type of woman that she was. And she was deeply loved because of all of that. And for me, I think about, we all know an auntie, a, a mom, a grandmother, a sister who operates like that and who isn't afraid of being truly herself in all ways. But I wonder what happens when we kind of take that on before we turn 65. That's really powerful. And when you said, you know, she would send people back out into the world better than they came to her door, like that is just a blessing. And that is also an aspect of that community care. When we have people in our lives who can lift us up and who can love on us. What do you want the world to know about this new book? I want people to know this is a book that I wrote to myself that I'm just letting everybody else read. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a book that I needed 10 years ago when I was too afraid to call myself a writer because I felt like the title was so big. I was like, that's Toni Morrison. That's a writer. I can't call myself the same thing as Toni. <laughs> it's the book that I needed when I was asked to do the TED Talk and I thought it was too big of an opportunity for me and I turned it down. It's the book that I need now. You know, when I'm like, holy smokes, I want this book to make impact on a million people. I want a million people's lives to be changed because of it. Yeah. I like to create work that I need, knowing that if I need it, somebody else needs it too. Even as I was writing the book, it was reading me my own rights. I was yes. writing now so I'm like oh oh yep you need to hear that you go ahead and need to hear that so somebody's going to need to hear it I wrote this book from a place of vulnerability in a way I haven't written anything before and I'm really excited for people to, to read it because and, I, and I'm really fascinated by what parts of it 
people will pull out. It's been different from, for everybody. So that's always interesting to see. curious to know what you would share with folks who may be thinking kind of how you thought like, oh, I'm not a writer or I can't do this thing. I'm not X, Y, and Z. Because I think we all go through that. I know I remember like having really big dreams for my book After the Rain that came out in October. I was like, yes. I wanted to make the list. Like I am just here for people to read these stories and resonate. And like, that was like my big girl book. That's what I would call it. Yes. And it did not make the list and it hasn't made the list yet. And I have been just trying to work through my own anxiety around like, well, is it good enough? Are people resonating? Like all these things, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, talking to my husband rather, and him saying, it's really not about those things. It's about the one heart that it touches and the yes. one heart that will shift the trajectory of someone else's heart. I want to know from you as someone who's walked through these moments of fear, who tried to turn down Ted and they were like, we need you, we want you, who called her friend and said, hey, tell me I'm crazy. And she refused. Tell people who are in this kind of limbo of, is my work good enough? Will it do this? Will it do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one, somebody somewhere is like, I'm a writer or I'm a photographer or I'm a designer or somebody's afraid to say those things because those titles, you might've attached all these different things to it. I think the first thing that I want people to understand is that the thing that you are currently denying that you are, or you think is too big of a title that you have is a gift. It is because you think it came too easy to you. You think that eye that you have that captures brilliant imagery, that pen that you have that writes beautiful words, you're like, that came too easy. That can't be it. And I think people need to know that that's why gifts are called gifts. You didn't necessarily have to earn it. It was bestowed upon you by the universe, by God. And now you should harness it as opposed to doubting it because it's right in front of your face. There are a lot of people who are like, oh my God, I'm trying to figure out what my purpose is. And I'm always like, your purpose is right there. It's just, yeah. you've spent a lot of time saying that's not it because it just felt too easy. Because you, we've been told whatever trauma response, whatever trauma training we have, that everything we have, we must strive and work hard and toil to have it. Mm. But there's a lot of things that we have that we already can stand in. My writing is one of those things that I denied for a long time because I was like, oh, it just comes too easy. It just pours out of my hands and it, it can't, that can't be it. So one, spend less time doubting your gift. Spend more time honoring it. And when you start to honor it, all these things that you're worried about will just move to the side. For me, it was when I finally said, I am a writer, that the universe was like, I've been waiting for you. I got all these things for you. I was just holding on to it until you realize it's for you. So that's one. Two, it's tempting to tie the value of what we've done to things like the lists. You know, it's because that's how the world measures impact is, did you make a certain list? Did you get this particular award? Now it's easier said than done, but we sometimes will have to remove ourselves from that to see objectively what the impact of what we've done really is. If you've gotten a note from somebody who said what after the rain has done for them, how much it's opened their eyes up to something, it's given them permission to heal to be courageous, your book has done what it needed to do. And it's a constant fight with the world and ourselves to not think we failed because we didn't get some 
validation. And it's something I also have to tell myself. It's like, listen, there are times when you might want a particular type of validation, like this number of a million that I set for myself, I can't tie the success of the book to that million. Because whether or not I sell a million copies or a thousand, Mm -hmm. who has emailed me or who has told me what my book has done for them? And I honestly think as of right now, my book is already a success. And let me tell you why. I already have a story of one person who said that my book has changed your life. And that person is my editor. My book editor, the woman who looked at the manuscript first, when I got my first draft of my book back, she had in the margins of my chapter, ask for more. She said, just so you know, this chapter made me ask for a raise. Wow, wow, wow. So this was in, she got me up my edits back in August. So in December on our final book meeting of the year, she said, so love you, I have great news that I'm sharing with you first. And she's like, that's partly because your book is responsible for this. And I was like, oh, what's up? And she's like, I was promoted to editorial director. Not only did she get the raise, she got a promotion. And she was like, your book is what compelled me to do it because I wouldn't have done it before. And her assistant got promoted to editor. Wow. I'm like, holy shit. She was like, your book changed my life. And I'm like, well, shit, I've already won then. This yep. book has already done what it needed to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, my goodness. That is so powerful. And that is absolutely, that is absolutely just divine and so true. And it's interesting because I was having a conversation with my agent and she was saying that, listen, the book is in the fifth printing. This is a long road. You don't want to be temporary in anything you do. You want this book to sell for years and years to come. And that is the pace that we're on. I had to tap into my inner child and be like, why am I feeling so much lack around this? And it reminded me of all the times I've had to like strive to be super good at something or in my behavior as a child to be seen Mm -hmm. and loved. So Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit about that before we wrap up. Like, what is this career path teaching you about nurturing your younger self Mm. and mentoring your younger self when it comes to the surface? Because even though we're adults, (laughs) we still have to mentor and and kind of get into like our past self. So I'm curious to know what you would say to that. Yes. You know what I'm realizing is a lot of people were convinced, abused, insulted into not being who they really are. I think the secret to what we should be doing today as adults is usually in what we were doing as kids. And I think about myself as a kid. I was the kid who got in trouble for her mouth, not because I was reckless and would be like coming at people crazy. I get in trouble for saying I didn't like something that an adult did or somebody older than me did. And oftentimes I'll take the punishment, but then I would follow it up with a handwritten note about what I thought was wrong. (laughs) I would follow it up with a note saying how I felt that it was unfair and I would hand it to my mom or I'd leave it on her nightstand for her to read. That's what I do now. (laughs) And I've been asked before, like, have you always been this girl? And I really thought about it. And I'm like, yeah, I've always been this girl and nobody told me not to be. And I carry some of that. I'm like, I've always been this girl and nobody ever told me you have to change her. So I kept being her. Mm. How many of us have been told to change us? In different ways, we might not be told, hey, I need you to change yourself, but life will sometimes teach us that we need to switch up who we are. So then we grow up to be people who are not sure who we are, but we knew at one point we Mm. were just told to be different and we listened. I never listened. Wow. So as we wrap up this conversation, if you were to listen to this episode a year from now, what do you think your future self would want to hear? Ooh, that's good. I'm hoping when I listen to this in a year, future me goes, 
dang, you really did that. <laughs> you actually set out to do what you, you wanted to do. My real hope is that my book and just who I am in, in general gives people permission to be truly themselves. Like how I show up online and what I write and, you know, I call myself the side-eye sorceress. It's really with the hope that I am somebody's example of what it looks like to exist in this world truly as yourself and still soar in spite and because of it. So I'm not trying to create more loveys, but I just want to normalize all of us being less ashamed about our being, about our personhood, about our core values. And if I can exist in the world to make it easier for you to exist in the world that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.